I'm Hilary Naughton. Welcome to the Uprint Podcast. It's time to remember your power and become the architect of your reality. Join me as we explore the art of intentional co-creation. We delve into the science and the magic. Hear expansive stories from entrepreneurs and creatives around the world who channeled their ideas and inspiration into real life by following their passions and staying true to their inner guidance. My intention is to empower you to act on your desires and live a life in vibrant color. Thanks for tuning in. Now we vibe. Good day. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show if you're an avid listener and thank you as always for joining me. Today I'm coming to you from somewhere new. Another, I don't know if this is going to be like a thing with the Habitat series, but I am recording this from the radio station in Byron Bay, 99.9 Bay FM. And how did I get here? I'm in this little cubby upstairs above the station, surrounded by about, I don't know, 10,000 CDs. (laughs) There's a bit of vinyl as well, but this is like an older part of the station where they used to store or where they still store all the CDs, but just no one uses CDs anymore. So... I already went to the hip hop and R&B section and it's been cleaned out. So clearly the person with the best taste has already been here because they're selling all the CDs or getting rid of them, which is actually a shame. But how did I get here? Well, uh, Christmas, around Boxing Day last year, I was with some friends and someone there, he had a friend that worked at the radio station And he said, oh, she's actually giving up her show slot. She doesn't have time for it anymore. And there's an opening at the radio station. And I was like, like everything in my body went like, bing, like this is interesting to you. So I got more information, had to track down people at the station. And I showed up many times and no one was here and couldn't get in. And long story short, I found the right people. I did some shadowing and listened in on some shows. I read the weather. So if you heard an American on the radio reading the weather, which is a thing, then that was me. (laughs) But I wanted to learn more about radio. And I also really want to hear old school R&B on the airwaves. It's not like a big thing here in Australia. And um, I was like, well, if someone's going to do it, it'll be me. And before committing myself to trying out and sitting a demo for my own weekly show, I was introduced to this woman named Rosella, who has a show every week on Bay FM called Belly. And it's been running for years and years and years. And she told me that she does these Monday night, like mentor nights for women. And the intention is to get more women into radio. And I was like, you know what, this is actually a really good way to dip my toe in the water and see like, all right, is this for me before I make a big commitment? So here we are. We have sent in a demo with a group of maybe six or eight women and watch the space. It hasn't been improved yet. So, (laughs) but I, I love the time capsule aspect of this podcast where it's capturing what was going down at this time, this day in history in Byron Bay. So in my world, this is what's happening. So here we are, episode two, live from the Habitat Byron Bay interview series. Take note, I'm not releasing the interviews in the 
order that I interviewed the people in. So you'll hear me in this interview reference another interview that hasn't been released yet. So I've organized them all and I'm kind of doing like a energetic eeny, meeny, miny, mo of like, what, what interview did I do I feel like editing right now? What interview did I really love? What is going to like light me up in this moment? So I I know in the beginning of the podcast journey, I told you guys that I, w- I committed to 52 episodes, which is approximately like, a, well, duh, like a year's worth of shows because there's 52 weeks in a year. And here we are, we're just over halfway there. And oh, there's just... I was telling Rosella earlier, like, I think I'm just burnt out. And she's like, well, you're not burnt out from your show and your podcast because you love that. You're burnt out from all the other things that you have going on. And I'm like, that's exactly it. So what I am focusing on right now is just the things that I can control and doing the bits that I love. So if you follow my social media, you'll notice I'm like not on there at all because I just don't have the energy for it. But What I am loving is going back and listening to this interview, to these interviews. And this week we've got Mukti from Mukti Organics. Ah, That's M-U-K-T-I. And she is an eco-activist, an author, and a green cosmetic chemistry pioneer. Educated in complementary medicine with a penchant for beauty, botany, and clean living, she has helped set the benchmark for certified organic skincare in Australia with Mukti Organics organics, her beauty brand. Obviously that paragraph, I found that on the internet. I know Mukti from working out with her. She is from the, this was actually the beginning of the interview and I cut it out because there was like a very loud blender sound. (laughs) And I was like, I don't think we're going to catch any of this. So a little introduction on Mukti. So I worked out with her partner who is a trainer here actually at Habitat as well. And from the first time I went to one of the classes, Mukti was there and she has this energy of like Viking queen. And let me tell you, if you're like in a hand-to-hand combat, in a war, in anything that requires like ass kicking, Mukti is your girl. She is fierce. But what I also love about her is that she is soft and has a very big heart and it's interesting and fun and easy to laugh. Um, I actually wanted her on the podcast from the very beginning and it didn't quite work out. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I know another, another opportunity will present itself. And, and she's friends with Penny who obviously owns Be Smoothie and was behind the whole pop-up idea at Habitat. So it worked out perfectly. We, when our powers combined and we both asked Mukti to come on and she was like, yeah, I'll do it. So, oh, there's so many nuggets in this episode with Mukti. And we talk about how you learn to love yourself, how our bodies are built to move, Mukti's morning routine, getting sunlight in her eyes and nature on her feet and so much more. You know, we talk about Vedic meditation, which one of the interviews that we did in Habitat is with a Vedic meditation teacher, Tiffany, and she'll that episode will air as well. But it's so interesting. A lot of the people that I interviewed are, they practice Vedic meditation. So listen for that. We talk about rejection and how powerful it is and and how Mukti moved through rejection and 
and the belief that she has and had at that time when she was starting out and what she had to offer the world and creating creating an offering that is is quality like the highest quality mukti's ingredients in her beauty products it's not just like another beauty product she uses the best ingredients and she'll talk about that and I use her products and love them and it feels like a self-care ritual every time you put them on your skin. So without further ado, live from Byron Bay Habitat episode two, I bring you Mukti Organics. So we're just going to jump right in. As I said, there was a bit of sound quality issue with the beginning of her episode because Duh, we're in a smoothie bar. <laughs> so we start with a bit about where Mukti grew up and how she grew up. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and I will catch you on the other side. So I'm a country girl. I was born in Tamworth, which is in northwest New South Wales. And I had a pretty... Well, I think financially we were quite well off, so we always had everything provided for us, But and everything looked great from the outside, but there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of, a lot of uh, fear growing up because unknown to me at the time, both my parents were adults, um, were, were alcoholics, and so being in a household and dealing with that and navigating that and not having any control over what was going to happen at any time was pretty scary as a child. So I became pretty resilient and had to figure things out. But I remember there was a lot of a lot of fear a lot of the time. But I think that's where my drive and resilience came from because my earliest memories and my mother later confirmed this was um was in utero and my father had abused my mother physically quite badly. And I remember I came out and I was just I had my dukes up. I'm like fighting. I'm I'm like, and I'm here to protect my mother as well. I was like, had this real fuck you attitude. You can say so, fuck. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if there's kids walking by. Um, yeah. So so I, you came out with that energy. I came out with that fierce energy, which is what you had seen in me. That that drive, that resilience, that tenacity. I guess. Um, and so that that sort of was where, what I grew up with. And, and I, yeah, I think that was very fundamental in how I evolved as an adult. I was always sort of searching from that point on, doing a lot of self-healing, a lot of therapy, because I had a lot of anger, particularly towards my father for, for many years. And I remember going deep with that, like doing rebirthing. And I remember doing this course once where there was this punching bag and and really, really having a full express and release very, very deeply to the point that after I had that experience, I must have been, um, it was at the end of the course, we had a weekend course away and it was up at Beachmont and it was a rebirthing course. So that was like really focusing on the breath and deep trauma. And I, I let loose on this punching bag for about it must have been close to an hour till I was absolutely physically exhausted and then after that I hopped in the car as with my husband at the time and I hopped in the car and then I had this I had this enlightened experience which was like 
uh, it was like a, a pivotal moment where I experienced extreme bliss and peace and happiness and I guess it was like almost like a and when I hear descriptions of an NDA a near-death experience it was like an NDA or it was like total like go and release and did you feel like you floated out of your body yeah but I was also very present but I felt this sense of oneness and love and unity and everything made sense and I guess it's like when people talk about being on DMT or not that I've had that experience, but it, it seems very similar to that, where it was just like an enlightened sense of understanding how everything fit together and all I felt was this universal love. So that was amazing, having that experience. So out of all of that trauma, you know, there's always things that, there's always things that you can evolve from, but I think I was always very curious as well and, and healing was always a really big part of my journey and... and trying to understand myself yeah did your dad ever get sober look it was a bit complicated I didn't speak to him for nearly 10 years and he ended up leaving the country he was a lawyer and then I think he got struck off and he, he he left the country and he went to the Philippines I believe for many years and then I saw him briefly when my eldest daughter was first born and I reconnected with him, and then he was diagnosed with, um, no, he had a stroke, that's right. And um, and then he was diagnosed with cancer. So I did reconnect with him, but I didn't ever really heal that relationship. So it also taught me that you're not always going to get closure yeah. in certain relationships and certain things in life. So that was also another big realisation for me. Yeah. Well, and did it cause you to show up any differently in the relationships that you have now, based on how that ended? Yeah. Well, I think I went through I went through a pattern of creating relationships or being in relationships that were abusive, and then I got to a point where I loved myself enough not to put myself in that situation anymore. But it was kind of what I knew and what I felt comfortable with, I guess, because I didn't know any different. And I thought that that was okay. So I didn't have a clear sense of boundaries. Um, and, um, but, you know, yeah, now I would, my tolerance level for anything like that is like, no way. I was like, nil. Yeah, I'm like trying to imagine Matt even like raising his voice to you. I'm like, oh, she'll totally kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I, I, it was just the journey of learning to love myself. And how do you love yourself? Well, you know, that's an individual process, but it's about really looking after yourself, not looking outside of yourself for that external validation or or, or, or love. You have to find that within yourself. And I think going through trauma or loss um, definitely helps that process. Because yeah. you really have to go deeply within yourself to find yourself. Yeah, were there any tools that you leaned on when you were going through that with your other partners that helped you realize your your worth and find that self-love? I think it was my my last relationship when um, I found out my partner had been having an affair. That was a, a pretty big moment for me. And I was in Bali and then I had to leave that whole lifestyle and leave that behind me. So then it was like a, a starting again moment, which was the beginning of me just really learning to love myself and I spent two years just fully going within and finding the tools to do that so there were different I mean I read a lot of books and 
I do a lot of self-help techniques, a lot of journaling, a lot of meditation. And I think, you know, I do have my daily routine now that I do that helps me to stay grounded and which is my self-love protocol. Um, and what's involved in that besides movement? Yeah. Can you work so, out every day? Yeah, I do that and I do mobility because I think, you know, we're, our bodies are built and designed to move. I think that, you know, we tend to be quite or can be quite sedentary because of the lifestyle that we now have, which is sitting on screens a lot of the time. So movement's very important to me. So I'll start the day uh, with a 20-minute Vedic meditation. So I have a, a mantra that I use to anchor me, anchor my crazy monkey mind. <laughs> and <laughs> Tiffany was on yesterday. So yeah. she's talked about Vedic meditation. So, yes, yeah. I've done, a, I've done a, a day's workshop with her too. She's great. And then I I did a session with Gary Goro. Goro, Asoma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did. I actually learnt from him. Um, but I had been meditating before that. But that was just. I found that out of all the different modalities that I've tried, that that was the one that works best for me. And I can just drop into that mantra at any time if I'm undergoing any sort of stress or I can't sleep at night. And I'll just drop into that, and then it just settles me right back down. I think having that anchor and that word or whatever it is that works for you has been pivotal for me, just in grounding myself and bringing me back to the present moment. Um, and then in the morning, sort of my routine is I'll take the, I'll do the meditation, do a bit of movement, mobility, and then I'll take my dogs for a walk on the beach. And that's sort of why I love being here in this in this region because I get to go to the beach every day and have that connection with the ocean and in nature. And I make sure I walk barefoot. I get my sunlight in my eyes, so no glasses. Uh, expose my skin to get a bit of vitamin D at the early morning. Um, no sunscreen at that time? No, no, no. And um, this is all sort of, you know, earlier on in the day. Um, and, yeah, that's my sort of morning routine that just helps me to, to stay grounded and give me that me time before the rest of the day begins. Yeah. Well, when you were talking about Bali, when you kind of left that life behind with the partner that you had, were you Mukti then? Or were you... Yes. I you were. Yeah, I changed my name uh, when I had my first child. Can we talk uh, about that? Or is it private? Oh, no, it's not really private. No, I'm just I mean, curious. I was in a yoga class, and I always felt like I was going to change my name. What was your birth name? Do you, talk, do you ever say it? No. Okay. <laughs> You're like, that's off limits. Well, okay, so you had your birth name, and then what was it? It wasn't was a bad moment? name. It just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, just not it you. It just didn't resonate, and I think that was part of letting go of that past, letting go of my my dad and that connection to that family name, and... And then I just had my first child and then I was leaving that relationship and uh, I was in this yoga class and the teacher said, uh, experience mukti. And I was like, mukti? It's like, that's it. That's my name. And what does mukti mean? It means freedom and liberation. And in, in Hindu it means, that's in Sanskrit and in Hindu it means rebirth. So... I actually didn't know that at the time. And I had this other experience too when um, when I was younger and I was studying and I used to get these words that would come to me and 
I mean, back in those days, there were no computers, so you couldn't look things up. And I used to write these words down, and I had been writing down all these Sanskrit words for quite a number of years. And um, they were just coming to you. Yeah, it was bizarre because I had, and then I, I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. So uh, maybe my my previous most previous life was in. Um, in India, so I feel sort of an affiliation. Interestingly enough, I haven't been to India this lifetime. So you haven't? I, no, and I'd you've love never to had go. past life work done where they've like gone in and like what, what did you do in that lifetime? Yeah, I have, but I found it a bit like um, hokey. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think there was all, yeah, it was this, uh, yeah, I have done. You have, but I've the done woman everything. Who did it. <laughs> yeah. But the woman who did it or whoever did it was, you were just kind of like, hmm, that could be true, but I have no way to know. Yes. Okay, a bit gotcha. like that. Whereas, yeah. whereas this was like, why am I, why was I writing Sanskrit when I was like 18? That's really interesting. It's like, yeah, it wasn't until I came across a book and um, it had the Sanskrit language in there. So going back to the name Mukti, I embraced that and, um, and that was a turning point as well. I was living in a community. Um, it was off, wasn't completely off grid, but it was a, a permaculture community up in the Sunshine Coast. Um, and that was where I birthed Kiana. She was born. She was a, a a natural birth, home birth, like free birth. Do you have a midwife there? Yes, I had a midwife there. Okay. Um, Were you like I could have done this on my own though? How did you feel? Not the first one. I think my second child definitely, but. The first one is such an unknown, like, and there's a bit of, I guess there's a bit of fear. I remember she brought out these, the oxygen tank, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, shit, something could go wrong here. But that was the first time I'd actually thought that something could go wrong. So I guess I had this really clear vision of that I could do it, that I could just birth my child naturally, and so I didn't really have a lot of fear around that. And How did it go? Well, we had um, we had this teepee set up. <laughs> I love it so much. I love this. And it gets better. The okay. Name. Uh, we had this teepee set up, and then we had a water tub in the teepee, and then um, the name of the place where Kiana was born was called Crystal Waters. So it was. <laughs> it's just like the hippie dream. Yeah, she, but she hated on me for years because it was she never wanted to admit that she was a, a home birth, and it was like was not cool back then, but. Now yeah. she's like the coolest ever. She's like I was like the OG. Yeah, well, there was. Uh, it just seemed like that was what we were doing back then. It was like I remember, you know, tie dyeing all my nappies and washing nappies, and I was really, really invested in <laughs> like, the whole like natural thing. Oh god! Oh, well, so in the permaculture farm, farm yeah. that's like what the thing is now. Yeah, there was a, a community, so I was into permaculture and and, and gardening and. I set up a. I ended up setting up a co-op, so people could bring their their fruits and vegetables there, so that it was accessible to the community. So that was really nice to create that space. Um, it wasn't financially viable at all, but it was a nice community <laughs> service, and I got my food from there. And I remember I had this little yellow, old yellow truck, and I would. Um, I'd go to the markets in my little yellow truck, and it had this little wooden tray. It was like a nineteen. God, it was like a 1950s little truck. Like it was a, so the, cute. The, the bed of it was, yeah. it was wood. We had yeah. one like that. Did it? Was it motorized? No. No. Okay. <laughs> no, we had fancy. like a dump truck. <laughs> no. It was so cute though. It was bright yellow and it was like, it had this wooden tray and I remember 
Yeah, it was like the green grocer. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, living in the, the community that you did, did it have like a leader who ended up being like weird and wanted to do orgies? <laughs> no. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know how that happens sometimes? There were definitely some weird people there and there yeah. was definitely some nudists there, but no one was really in charge. We all had our own, it wasn't like a commune, like everyone had their own lot or acre that they had purchased. So there was freehold and leasehold titles. So um, I think like a lot of communities, you know, it's a little bit dysfunctional because everyone comes there with their ideas and I think it was more of a retirement village actually. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> everyone was like over a certain age. Well a lot of people a lot of people were, but it was a pretty safe place to, to say safe is yeah, the word. Yeah. It was a great place to have to have, you know, to, to raise a child. So Kiana spent her first five years there and then um, I was studying psychology and then I ended up morphing into going back to doing skincare and um, How, what was that? that change like so you were doing psychology at school yeah I was studying distant ed and then it got to data analysis and um and st- statistics and I was like oh this isn't clinical <laughs> this is not clinical psychology dealing with people's emotional issues I was like I'm never going to use this this is like ridiculous and I hated that part of it I just couldn't see the value of that and so I ended up not finishing that degree, which I kind of am a bit annoyed with myself because I was at least two thirds of the way through. Um, but then I think you've done pretty well. <laughs> but you know how I don't know. It's like that thing where you just haven't completed something. It's like oh, I should have just done that. I could have got that across the line, and then I, you know. But um, do you have a desire to complete it now? No. What interests me more now is marketing and the psychology behind marketing and how people how people think and. Um, you know, from a business perspective, how do you how do you differentiate yourself in a in a marketplace that's quite saturated and incredibly competitive? And um, so that side of the business is really interests me. And it's kind of like I don't know. I think about marketing like it's almost like gambling. It's like if I do this, <laughs> not <laughs> that happen? I've ever been a gambler, <laughs> but it's like I just love seeing what happens when you do something and you apply it. And um, so that interests me and I'm always studying I'm always thinking I'm always like processing my mind's not very still so yeah um yeah so then I ended up making my first products when Kiana was a baby okay that was sort of how I, I was like I've got to create an income for myself that was just around the time that I left my husband and I um I made my first product which was a lip balm. Okay. What was in it? It was honey and macadamia and beeswax. And it was pretty – the first iteration was a disaster, actually. Like but I'd spent all this money on the on the raw ingredients. I was like, I'm not putting – I'm not wasting this. <laughs> I'm going to figure this shit out. Okay. I'm going to work this out. So unbeknownst to me, sort of at that time, I was like, I was actually mixing – trying to mix oil and water – which was the the honey with the wax and so I needed to it was very temperature reliant so I had to figure out you know the exact temperature that I needed to get it to 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 make it work um and then I ended up taking that product to the Woodford Folk Festival and oh cool that was where I sort of launched the brand um with that and it was the it was like a rose blossom mist which 
we still have. It's like still one of our best-selling products. The lip balm I had to say goodbye to because it was pretty difficult to make in larger quantities. It was because it was so fiddly and also the brand is a vegan brand so we had to had to leave the beeswax and the honey behind. Um, but we do have a new lip balm coming out. Oh, what, what is it called? Or what's, what's, what's in it? I can't tell you. <laughs> well, you'll <laughs> tell me it's good. Oh, my gosh. It's, good. it's so hard to make a vegan lip balm that's really – that works and and does what it says it's going to do. So this one I've been fiddling around with for almost three years. Yeah. Oh. But the honey and macadamia lip balm was so popular and I would often get mothers ringing up and saying, my child's just eaten this whole jar out of my bag. Is it okay? And I was like, yes, it's, it's so good you can eat it. So it's, <laughs> it's fine. They'll just poop it out. It's just so natural. Yeah. Well, and so how do you go from that then to, so you're at the Woodford Festival and you're, are you used to selling things out? And so you're like, oh, this could actually be a viable business. Like, how uh, do you make that leap? Yeah. Then I, then I went to do the new employment incentive scheme. So in Australia, there is, if you've been, I think at that stage I was, because I was being, I was a mum, um, and so I was looking at a way that I could have an income and still, um, you know, work or create my own business. So it's it was back then, and I'm, I think it's still around. It was the equivalent of what the like the what the doll is that what you call yeah yeah, it? yeah. the doll is what you call it here or in yeah. the UK it'd be like uh, welfare like, yeah so oh, it was cool. like so you get support from the government so you get support but you're doing cool. the course which is oh. new employment incentive scheme and then it put and then they. It's like a, a business course that you do. And so I then went through that process of um, – it was like a TAFE course, I guess, the equivalent of just yeah. doing a basic business studies, um, learning how to do all the spreadsheets and seeing if it was a viable option. Um, and then I had all these grand plans that I would be – you know, in my first year I'd make a million dollars and <laughs> – you know, the reality was back then that was – I launched in 2000 and back then it there was no internet. It was just the beginning of the internet. There was no social media platforms. Um, so everything was very much just about legwork and, and door knocking. Um, I always make this joke that I door knock so much I had to make a hand cream. <laughs> but um, – and, and, you know, faced rejection a lot. But – there was really, back then, there were some heritage brands around, um, such as your Belader and Halschger and um, there was Jalik as well. And they were kind of like my benchmarks back then. When you say heritage brand, what does that mean? Well, they've been around for a while. Like, gotcha. they're, you know, those European brands that have been there that were natural and organic and biodynamic and using good ingredients and the ones that I would choose to use. But I wanted to create something that was going to be accessible for, you know, people like me back then, being a, a, a mum without a, a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so that was pretty much how it all started, out of a need. And then I was going back to doing beauty therapy at a local uh, Airbnb and there were lots of teachers and nurses that came up and I'd do facials and then they often asked me what products I was using and then... I started to think about that I could possibly create my own products. Had a background by this stage. I'd already studied naturopathy and you're a naturopath. Yeah. Oh, I did, cool. I did my. 
I did, um, I put myself through college and I did all the fundamentals, which was a lot of body work to begin with. So that's how I sort of studied and put myself through college. So I did um, complementary medicine and I loved herbs and I loved um, aromatherapy and I just, that's sort of where that passion came from and then that morphed into the business and, and making products. So you were selling it to the people who were coming in to to get treatments and then when did you set up your own your own like brick did you have a brick and mortar were you selling out of your house no I started making them out of the house back then which I mean I think now that really there needs to be more regulation in relation to DIY um, so you're like, if I, <laughs> so basically you would tell yourself now, you're like, all right, well, you shouldn't have been doing it that way, but that's just the way you do it. Well, I think back then, I mean, I was really, I just was, it was, it was a, a small business. It was like a market store business. But I think now as a consumer, you really have to be very aware of what you're using on your skin and where it comes from and what's actually in it and how's it preserved and how's it processed and what are those ingredients, you know? And and I think price is very much demonstrates or can, unless it, you're paying a lot for marketing, which quite Happens. often you are. Yeah. Um, but I think learning how to really discern and read a label is, I, I love doing that. I love reverse engineering and looking at what's in a product and going, oh, yeah, but then you read down and it's like, yeah, well, that's not in there at, at such a high percentage. or Yeah, but there's a lot of education to be done around that too. But my point is that I think it's very important, especially with the saturation. There's a lot of white-label products on the market, which means someone's gone to a contract manufacturer and they've said, I want to create a product. Um, and so they've given them a, a product off, off the shelf, basically, and then you can label it with your own name and off you go. Um, so someone could, just to get clear, because you were talking about this earlier and I still didn't quite get it, someone could take your cream cleanser and bring it to this third-party company and say, I want to sell this Mukti product as my own. Yeah, they could re reverse engineer that. Um, okay, but it's not like they could take the actual bottle, put their label on it, and then, and then sell it. No, but I think what can happen and what has happened when people have tried to do that and copy some of our products in the past because I've spoken to contract manufacturers and they realise that, that that our cogs, our cost of goods, are it's not viable um, because <laughs> they're so expensive. Um, and what I make is, is yeah, we, we, we procure the best ingredients from around the world. Like all our CO2 extracts come out of Europe. Um, you know, there's... The cogs are ridiculous. Like my French cosmetic chemist that I work with, he, he's worked with a lot of brands and, and mass-produced products as well. And I remember when he first started working with me, he was like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like It's too expensive. It's not viable. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I want the best. I'm going to have all these ingredients in there. So, yeah, it's always, it's always a bit of a challenge because I'm about quality and efficacy and I will always use the best ingredients and I will always use them at their maximum percentage so that they will deliver results that's just I I have to do that and really they should be four times what they actually are but I still want to make them affordable it's tricky but yeah, it's um tricky. but I think the proof is in the pudding and also that we've had I've had such a long 
I've had customers that have been with me for a long time through the journey, so that's that's also proof in the pudding as well. So that's really lovely that they've been loyal brand advocates for that long. And when you meet them and it's like, wow, and they tell you stories and they, they tell you about the, the product that they used and, and the packaging and, you know, gosh, all the products have been through, they've had so many iterations and it's, it's lovely to be, have that, have that, share that journey with, with your customers. It's amazing. And really, I guess the other thing, the other point of difference is I didn't ever really start this just to sort of, to do it and then sell it um, from a, it wasn't ever about the money, it was more about being able to create something that was beautiful and would make people feel good. And I think that's still my mission, you know, definitely. Yeah. Well, you brought up something earlier. You were talking about all the rejection that you got when you were knocking on doors and all the no's. And I think that's really important. Some people listen to this podcast because they're trying to get up the courage to act on an idea that they have. And, and the, the, the thought of failure sometimes keeps people from doing anything. It keeps them small. It keeps them safe. So when you were, if you think back to that time when you were when you were getting all of those no's and facing so much rejection, what was keeping you going besides I have to feed my daughter? Was there anything else? I just, I just believed that I had something that was worth, worthwhile, that was of value. And I just believed in myself, so I just kept pushing through. I mean, no one likes rejection. It's horrible. It's horrible. horrible. <laughs> it's like, it's the worst feeling. I mean, still, it happens now. I mean, we recently went to Mecca and they said no. So then you're just like, okay, well, it's a no, but that's okay because there's other markets and other opportunities and, you know, so, yeah, there's definitely places I'd like to be positioned and where I could see the brand and I just, I'd love more people to know about the products because they are quality products. They are, they are really... They're incredible. I mean... Yeah, I called them after myself. <laughs> yeah, you're like, uh, no. they're, uh, you built them in the image of yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. I'm, I'm not really that egotistically. No, you're not attached to them. But it's like, I think, I'd, I just think quality is really important. There's just so much crap in the world and so much saturation. We talk about the environment, we talk about climate change, and then it's like, well, do we really need more crap? Yeah, <laughs> you no. Know, it's like, no, just create something of quality and, and less is more and and in saying that too you know I think people overutilize skin care I think during during you know the pandemic uh, a lot of people went crazy on you know over over utilizing products um, and I think it's just going back to the basics you know good cleanser good moisturizer good serum and just pairing things right back you don't need to have every single product but of course your skin goes through different changes and different seasons so then you know we have something for every skin type and every skin concern um which is really nice and all of it's in a certified organic base so it's as clean as it possibly can be as well which is important when you're thinking about your overall health and well-being and also the impact as as it has when it, you know those ingredients are biodegradable so the impact they have as they're breaking down as well or going down the drain all of that's important full circle definitely well what i love about using your products is that knowing like what you're saying that the they are so clean so it's part of this like self-care ritual 
and you're like, okay, cool. This is something that I'm doing not to fight off aging, which it also does that too. Like it's great for your skin, but it's something that you're doing just for like some self-love. And so, and when you're using your products, I'm big on energy and frequency. And I think that when you're using products like that, that are very high quality, then it has the, it has that intention infused into it and you can feel it as you're using it. It's just so beautiful. I first used your products at Stacy's place. Oh yeah, the little company. Little company. Yeah. And I'm like, these are amazing. And so I love your products. There was something we were talking about before when you were saying you're walking on the beach and you're having the sun come in on your body and it's unfiltered and you don't have anything on your body at that point. What do what are your thoughts on sunscreen in general? I yeah, know that there's like it's, it's kind of a mm, it's one of those subjects that's it's a little bit of a tricky one, but um look, I think it's important to protect your your skin from the sun in Australia at certain times of the day. Absolutely. But we also need the sun to help us process vitamin D. And it's not your enemy. Um, I think it's important, as I said, to, to be respectful of the sun um, and definitely wear a hat and, and, and wear a shirt. I think, um, I th yeah, it's like I'm being very careful about yeah, yeah, what yeah, I'm no. saying well, here I, I, because I, I still do use a sunscreen. I'll use zinc, zinc oxide. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to say, like what, because I know that there's so many chemicals in sunscreen and I've yeah. gone very far one direction of I'm not wearing any sunscreen at all. It's blocking information that I'm getting from the sun. It's blocking like the chemicals that are that are in a lot of sunscreens are having other effects on my body that that I've read about that I'm like, oh, I don't want that to be happening. And so I, I've gone like very far one way and but the sun here is so intense. So like what you said, wearing a hat, wearing long sleeves, being really mindful of the time of day that you're going out. But I was just curious how you balanced it with how I assumed that you feel about those things yeah. and the, the chemical. Well, obviously, you're not into chemicals, but like, how do you how do you balance that? Yeah, look, I think another little hack with sunscreen too, and and the sun is not wearing sunglasses, um, getting sunlight in your eyes. I'm not saying not to wear sunglasses at all because obviously the glare and the squint and being able to to see without squinting is also. Um, pleasant, but it is important to get sunlight in your eyes uh, early in the morning if you can, and that helps to balance your melatonin as well. So that helps with the process of the vitamin D through your skin. So all of that works into our physiology and it works into our hormones, and all of that keeps us balanced. So it's a holistic um, picture. And um, yeah. Does that answer yeah, that, your that question? Answers it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. It was something I was I always wanted to ask you because obviously I know with Matt too, um, just his views on health and how much I've learned from him when I was working out with him about just like that overall picture, that holistic picture with with diet, what you put in your body, what you put on your skin, how important the sun actually is. And so from like a skincare expert, I'm always curious what what your stance is. Yeah. But look, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I get it. But it, it is quite contentious yes exactly so i'm not going to ask you about like anything else that's crazy but anyway yeah. we need the sun for vitamin d we need the sun for vitamin it's very d very simple very simple really yeah um but the sun can also burn your skin and the sun can also cause cancer but so can lots of other things but skin cancer is um obviously you know something that we all want to avoid as well so being safe safe uh and and sensible and not going out in the midday sun 
without some form of protection is is um, is advisable. You sound like like a government PSA. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being very careful. Yeah, no, no. Well, I'll, we'll change the subject. I'm um, I'm curious as you've been in, you you were a pioneer, are a pioneer in in what you're doing with skincare and having clean ingredients, and you were one of the first in Australia. We were talking about to do this, and I know that as I've gotten into different things, my perspective on your perspective is always evolving and maybe a, a value that you really held really tightly, really dearly in the beginning of your journey, as you kind of work through it, your perspective can start to shift. Is there anything that you have kind of over the last, it's been what, 22 years, 23 years that you've been like, oh, my perspective on that has totally shifted. I used to feel this way and now I'm like, oh, what the hell was I thinking? Yes, I think that happens a lot. But I think I was thinking about something you said earlier. It was in relation to like the energy behind what you do and what you create. And one of the things that I still love about what we do is that we don't mass produce. So everything's still very much handcrafted. You know, the biggest batch sizes we make would be like a thousand units at a time. So this it's not a big, you know, production line. Yeah. And the person that I have making the products is you know, we have our um, we have our woo woo stuff around. We have the crystals. And oh yeah, what do you the, do? Tell me. Oh well, it's top secret. I guess. Oh okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a bit of energetic woo woo that goes on in the background. In like, intention stuff. Definitely that. Definitely that. And that's really important to me as well with whoever comes into contact with the products. And yeah, I think um, I think you know, being a business owner too, like it's it. I've been sitting in that general management role for the last two years since we moved the business from the Sunshine Coast down here during the pandemic, which was quite a bit of a challenge. Um, and I think I think people, managing people is always a bit of a, a challenge and it, it can interfere with that creative process. So, um, yeah, I think... I like the fact I don't know how to go from here to that next level without losing the integrity of the product. So that's really important to me. I don't really know if I answered your question. No, no, well, you did. You answered another you you did. You answered the question. I'm curious you were talking about before we started recording that coming to Byron was you were reflecting on that and how that's been like an integral part of your journey and what what was the impetus? Was it COVID? Was just the impetus for you to go from Sunshine Coast here? No, we moved, Matt and I were in Melbourne and um, we actually met in Bali. Um, you and Matt did? A few years before that, yeah. And then I Where? Moved, uh, or, or like at a resort or on the beach? No, I mean, no, we met through two friends, a brother and a sister. And okay. it was a bit of a setup actually. Oh, cool. And then and you then, saw him, you're like, hi, Greek God. <laughs> yes, I'll date you. <laughs> That's a yes. Uh, I remember, <laughs> I do remember observing him by the pool he was doing some sort of exercise routine and I was pretty impressed. Yeah, he would be. <laughs> so, yeah, then we ended up, um, you know, we had a friendship for for quite a few years and then I ended up moving. I was back on the Sunshine Coast and then I ended up moving to Melbourne. Uh, I was in Melbourne for about three years. And that was to be with him? Well, one of my daughters was down there as well and my youngest daughter wanted to finish school down there Um so, and I, one of my really good friends was down there, so it was, and he was down there, so it just kind of 
I didn't. I don't like to think that he was the reason why I went down. <laughs> You're like, I'm he, not going to give him that. He might have been part of the reason, <laughs> secretly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Matt. Yeah. Or um, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so then we were in Melbourne for about three years. But I'm I'm not a city person. I just, I, yeah, I just don't feel comfortable being in the city. I just, it's really important for me to have nature around me and, and the beach is super important as well. But there was a pivotal moment. We were, I was driving through... Um, it was down Fitzroy, it was down Brunswick Street and it was one of those really, really weird days where the sky went orange and then there was like these little droplets of rain and it was super hot. It was like 40 degrees or it was just weird and I was like, wow, something something really bad's going to happen and I can just, I could feel it as I was driving down and I was stopping at the traffic lights and I was looking at people and I was like, oh, my God, something really bad's going to happen, like Armageddon is going to happen and I don't want to be in the city. I need, I need to get out of the city. Like, it's important that I get out of the city really soon. And when was that? So that was August, I remember. 2019. It was, yeah. And it was one of those pivotal moments and I came home to Matt and I said, I'm, I've, we've got to get out of the city. I've got to get out of the city. I'm going. Um and you can come if you want to. And then I ended up doing a trip up here and then I I saw Penny and I'd known Penny from Melbourne, um, Penny from Combi. And then, um, and then I met Katie who was at Habitat and, um, and we spoke about living here at Habitat and I, we had a, a small dog and I was like, oh, we could just land here and we could have the dog and Matt could set up a studio. We can just downsize and we can just start again. And um, that's literally sort of what happened. So we ended up here and it was a really nice soft landing spot. Um, and you stayed in Habitat? Community. Yeah, we oh. had one of the, one of the, um, one of the villas here, one of the apartments. So he had his business downstairs and I had the office upstairs and then I was travelling backwards and forwards to Sunshine Coast and then that got difficult because of the border, sh- when the borders kept closing and, and then... Uh, space came up in Mullumbimby Industrial and that was when I decided to move everything down here and and uh, and then everything else fell into place. We found a house, bought a house, which was great and um, and now we're in sort of the, just in the Byron area, we're in Myokum, which is really lovely. Um, so we're close to everything but far Damn enough way. away from everything <laughs> as well. Yeah. And um, and I'm five minutes to work, so yeah, everything just fell into place. It was like one of those moments when you just trust your gut instinct, and you leave, and you start again, and and everything falls into place. As terrifying as that can be, but I just I've always really trusted my gut instinct, and and that was one of those moments, pivotal moments, where it's like, oh, something bad's going to go down. And it was shortly after that that the bushfires happened. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of got. I think a lot of us have forgotten about the trauma of that because then the next thing we were into was COVID. So, and then the floods. Yeah, and then the floods. There's been like, a lot of yeah. a lot of trauma, a lot of stress, a lot of, um, and that's again where I think it's really important to come back to having like a some an anchor, a, a ritual, a daily practice, and and also a nature connection. Get your feet on the ground, get feel the earth, and reconnect wherever you are. Look up at the sky, put your feet on the earth. Shake it off like a dog. <laughs> well, in community too. A part of the reason we did this pop up was just to 
highlight interesting people from the community like you, but also just as a reminder that there's like so many interesting people around here. And I feel like after the floods, it really brought everybody here back together. Mm. And it reminded me of just like, I don't know. It's just, it feels like there's a lot of people here that feel like family. And when I lived in Melbourne, I didn't have that. I didn't feel that. I felt so disconnected. And there's something really unique about the energy here and the people that it brings together. And after going through that experience with the flood, I was just like, I don't know. It's like when you find your people and you're just like, ah, like this is like, this is the right place. And what has been your experience here with the community and, and in your business? Yeah. I feel very much the same way. Um, yeah, I feel like I have family here, like my spirit family, and it's been really easy to have those connections and those deeper connections. Um, we've got some great friends and we have a lot of fun together and um, and it's been really wonderful to move the business here. I did spend a lot of time in Byron and in Yamba and in Cabarita as a kid. We had a holiday house in Yamba, so oh, cool. I was on either side and then we moved to Cabarita when I was a teenager. And so Byron was always in between, so it was always a place that I had loved coming to or driving through. And and um, I had a, a friend from school uh, that used to live here, so I'd come here for holidays with her as well. And um, and then I also had other friends here when before we moved, so um, it just made sense to be here. So I'm super grateful every day I wake up here and go, wow, I am so lucky and blessed to be here in this amazing part of the world and I'm about to go off traveling again and I'm sure I'll just be like wow we are so lucky we're so lucky every so day lucky. I wake up and I think the same thing like the natural beauty here is insane so normally I end the show with um with if you were to send a message back to yourself at any age what message would you send I'm going to ask you that and then I have one more I, I interviewed Lisa Messenger this morning and a question came up that I was like oh I want to know what Mukti thinks about this. So let's start with what message would you send back to yourself? If you could send a little love note back to uh, the artist formerly known as, <laughs> it's all you didn't give me your name. <laughs> started with M. It started with M. Okay, to Mumma. What would you, what would the note say and how old would you be? Oh, that's so interesting because I often, I thought about that when I read that question and you sent it to me and now I have a 21-year-old. So I'm, I'm often telling her to, like, uh, I, I think of her as as me at that age. So the advice that I would give her is if you can't make a decision, then it's not time to decide. That was the advice I gave to her the other day. Did she, is she going to listen, do you think? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice because it's almost like you can advise them, but in a, I mean, they still have to figure this stuff out for themselves, but... It's it's lovely to have that relationship with my daughters now, where I'm a f I'm a friend, and I think that yeah, that's that's the advice that I tell her is what I would tell, tell myself. Yourself, so you're there's a whole book in in that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, yours. Oh, how many books have you written? Oh, I I've only written one, but that, I was just sort of thinking about you know. There, there is a book called Notes, Notes to My, to my Daughter. Uh, yeah, no, Notes. Notes to My Future Daughter. Yeah. Yeah, and I have that one. I've, yeah, I've met her as well. It's beautiful. Is she Aussie? Kate, Kate, I think her name's Caitlin. Okay. Yeah, she lives in Melbourne. She's oh, beautiful, nice. beautiful woman. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful book. Yeah, So it makes you cry when you read it. Yeah. <laughs> so the second question before we go is, and I didn't prepare you for this, so I don't know what you're going to say. Um, 
if you were, so I find myself when I have different experiences and especially here, like we're in such, such a beautiful place, contemplating the nature of our reality. And like, what, what do you think this is? Do you think we're in a simulation? Do you think that we're well, <laughs> we're gonna really go there? Yeah. Like, what, what is this <laughs> what question going to be? No, because like I, I ask myself that a lot. Or mm-hmm. if you know you have like a you you take something and then you have this like crazy out of body experience and you're like, oh well, I think I figured it out. But like we never really are gonna know, right? But like when you've been in moments of contemplating, like what is this experience? Like what what do you think it is? Okay, I can answer that. I think this is a lifetime in amongst many, many lifetimes. This is just a, a speck in the sand. This is just a moment in time. But I, I'm a huge believer and I've had enough evidence in my life to really um, to know that this isn't the only life that we're having. It doesn't make any sense to me and I've had enough, as I said, enough verification. So this is a lifetime in amongst many, many lifetimes. Yeah, And that's what, what do you think we're like energetic beings having human experience or are we... What are we? Yeah, I think we are all ultimately interconnected and we forget that and I think that causes a lot of harm and dissension. I think that when I had that experience that I spoke to you about before, that um, that connection and that, that epiphany of that enlightened experience, it was like I, I understood that we were all connected and that there was no separation. And I think that's kind of where we're evolving to. But there are so many things that cause separation and that's what we're dealing with right now. So it's actually being aware and open to that because that can be very deceptive. If there's things that are happening in the media or if there are things that are impacting us, is it true or is it there to cause separation? And that's where I think we've all got to get a little bit wiser and just realise that, that, that we're possibly being played right now. Definitely. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that can open a whole other Pandora's box, but I think um, I think I've made myself clear which side of the... Yeah, no, 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 I love it. Well, because I think it's true. Like, the, <laughs> I know Emma's on the side, like, yeah, hey, girl, mic drop. <laughs> well, thanks for that. Um, we're, we're at time now. But, yeah, I didn't pray for that last one, but I'm just, like, just always curious. I- I'm looking for just more data. Yeah, no, that's know? great. I love yeah. that. I love that. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. It's great to see you again. Great to see you too. Thank you for joining me today. My intention is always that you leave feeling inspired in some way, in a better mood. You have that bit of courage to, to take action on whatever it is that you're wanting to create right now. That idea that's been brewing in the back of your mind for the last six months or six years. It's all about just taking little steps each day. So hopefully this gave you a bit of motivation to do that. If you enjoyed the episode and want to stay up to date with the happenings of the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple. We're also on iHeartRadio now. And you can also leave us a review in your app. It's a great way to show your support for the show. And as always, have a beautiful day and until next week.